Theology of the Body Institute. This is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ask Christopher West Podcast, hosted, co-hosted by my lovely wife, Wendy West. Here I am. Hi, Wendy West. Hi, Christopher West. We were just talking about how this is kind of like a a break in our day because we come to record these and we turn our phones off. Yep. But we're working at the same time, but it's a relaxed thing. Yeah, it's really neat and unique for us. It is. So thanks, listeners, for making this possible yeah. for us. How about that? It it's wouldn't a be blessing. fun to have a podcast if no one was listening. No, not at all. So thank you for listening, and thank you for all the questions you guys send in. And you can keep them coming. And please share this podcast. If it's benefiting you, share it with somebody you think would bless them too. Mm-hmm. That's how we get the word out there. Yeah. You know, some of our podcast listeners, but certainly not all, have come to know who is this Christopher West, of whom I'm asking questions, mm-hmm. through your years of speaking to different audiences. And I don't know, they may be wondering, how did you become a speaker? How did this all happen? If someone had told me when I was a teenager I would be a public speaker for my life, for my career, I would not have believed it. It was really not on my radar screen at all. Right, right. I was a kid in high school who was so afraid to stand up and and deliver a book report or something. I remember one time I was supposed to deliver a book report, and I actually just called in sick. I pretended I was my dad and called in (laughs) sick. Called in sick because I couldn't bear the thought that I would have to stand up in front of twenty people and give a give a report. It was absolutely petrifying to me. So at that stage of life, if someone had said, "Yeah, you're going to be a public speaker," I did have a nun in high school who said, "Master West, you you have a speaker's voice. Have you ever thought about be going on radio or something?" And I remember, I don't remember, oh, Sister Christie was her name. Yes, Sister Christie, it just came to me. Uh, her name was Sister Christie. Anyway, I did have that, somebody <laughs> put that somebody, bug in my ear. Yes, okay. Is that the right expression, bug in my ear? Be in my bonnet? I can't, re- I sometimes I mix my... <laughs> Your idioms. My idioms, yeah. that's not the professionalism of a public speaker. But anyway, going along to answer that question, uh, what what got me... What changed my tune was just discovering a message that I became so convicted of that the world needed to hear, and I didn't hear anybody else talking about it. I just needed to share it. Hmm. I mean, this is when you and I were getting to know each other in the early 90s, and you know from knowing me then that I couldn't shut up about it. I was just yakking all the time about it, and give me a microphone. I don't care how many people in front of me. Everybody needs to hear this. Yeah. So it was, it was the conviction that this was a life-changing message from St. John Paul II. The analogy I often use is, I discovered the cure for cancer. And if you've discovered that, you can't, I don't care what your hang-ups are about telling people, if you're afraid of public speaker or whatever, it doesn't matter. You got to tell people. Mm-hmm. And that helped me just to, I didn't have any, I really honestly didn't have a fear to tell people about it because it was that important. And then doors opened up. You were the first person ever to invite me to give a talk. I think we told that story yeah. on this podcast previously. Mm-hmm. 
So, the Lord has mysterious plans for our lives. Maybe somebody out there is wondering right now, what does my life hold? What's my future hold? I'll raise my hand. (laughs) I wonder what what my life holds, what my future holds. (laughs) As do I. But I'm talking about, you know, career. Oh, well, you do. No, you're getting to the point in our our married life. Is this what you're getting at? Yes. Yes, yes, of course. That... You know, our kids are our youngest is ten, and eight years from now we'll be eight uh, empty nesters. And I know you're entertaining. What does this mean for my life? Because you've devoted so much of your time right. to raising our kids there and homeschooling, and used to be a nurse. Maybe people don't know that about you mm-hmm. that you were a registered nurse. And are you going to go back to that? Right. All those Th- questions. Those are real questions. Mm-hmm. But if you're out there wondering, what does God have in store for me? Expect the unexpected. God can do mighty things. If he can turn me into a public speaker, traveling the world, lecturing to audiences, he can do anything in anybody's life, really. Here's the first question for today's podcast. Let's do it. Anonymous. Anonymous questioner. Yes. Uh, Anonymous says that it's not uncommon now to hear about priests leaving the priesthood. And the question is, do you have any advice to priests, men and women, religious and laity, who think the grass is greener in the other vocation? Mm, Yes, yes, I do. I could write a dissertation on it. Uh, I've given lots of talks over the years to priests and religious, those in the celibate life. And oftentimes, I'll have a celibate person pull me aside and say, Christopher, sometimes I ache and pine for marriage. Sometimes I crawl into bed alone and, forgive me, uh, Nacho Line just came to my mind. Anybody who knows me knows I love Nacho Libre. If you're a celibate out there and you're wrestling with your celibate vocation, may I suggest a little bit of comedic medicine would be to watch Nacho Libre. I know this sounds really silly to even recommend it in any serious way because it's just a stupid comedy, but it's not merely a stupid comedy. The whole idea is the celibate guy played by Jack Black. The metaphor of the movie is wrestling and he is wrestling with his celibate vocation. And at one point he says, I got it good, really good. I get to sleep in a bed by myself for my whole life. It's fantastic. (laughs) The poor man, he's standing in front of this very attractive nun as he's saying this, and he's wrestling so hard with his celibate vocation. But the reason I got sidetracked on Nacho Libre is because I was remembering many, many celibates who have come to me after a talk and said, Christopher, I really struggle. I crawl into bed by myself, and I long to have a spouse. Or or my, my little second grader will, you know, a nun I'm remembering who was teaching second grade and... And the second graders would just show her so much love and squeeze her and love her. And she said, I long for my own children. I I think I'm in the wrong vocation. My response is always the same. No, 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 no. The ache for marriage does not mean you're in the wrong vocation. It means you've really made a legitimate sacrifice. It's celibacy for the kingdom. It's not celibacy because I didn't want to get married. Mm. What is the measure of the, the merit of any sacrifice? It's based on the value of what you give up. And I often give this as an analogy. Wendy, you know I hate pickles, 
uh, to the point that I, I need counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, if any of our listeners is a, is a pickle counselor, <laughs> feel free to let us know in the comments, because Christopher's looking. <laughs> I need pickle counseling. My dad forced me to eat uh, a sandwich that had been soaked with pickle juice at some diner. The pickle was laid right next to the, to the bun, and my dad forced me to eat it. I gagged and threw up, and, and it just scarred me for life. Anyway, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say this. Here's my analogy. If I give up pickles for Lent, there is zero merit because I really don't like pickles. Right. If I give up beer for Lent, well, now there's some merit because I love a good beer. If someone chose to be celibate because, oh, thank God, I never wanted to deal with a spouse's bad breath or have to change poopy diapers. Thank God I don't have to do any of that stuff. That's not the celibate vocation as Christ invites some to embrace. Hmm. That's celibacy because I didn't want to get married. So number one, if someone out there is pining for marriage as a celibate person, don't think necessarily this means you've chosen the wrong vocation. It means you're feeling the normal and natural inclination of human nature, as John Paul II says. John Paul II says in the Theology of the Body, that Christ does not wish to hide the travail hmm. that is involved in the sacrifice of, of being celibate for your life. There is a travail. It's a choice to remain, you might say, in the ache of solitude for the sake of a greater communion. Marriage is the sign uh, here on planet Earth of the heavenly reality the celibate person chooses that heavenly reality even here and now. What would my advice be to those? Is that the question? Those who are, who are struggling? Yeah. Or, what would my advice be? My advice would be, number one, don't think that marriage itself will take away that ache that you're feeling. The ache you feel cannot be quenched. It cannot be erased. It cannot be fulfilled by human love. You and I can speak from our own experience going on 24 years of married mm-hmm. life that we, we love one another dearly. We mm-hmm. know this is our vocation. We know this is our path to heaven. We rejoice in that. We embrace it. But we've had to learn the hard way that we're not one another's ultimate satisfaction. I'll tell this story uh, while we're on the topic. I remember a student years ago who, when I was teaching on this point in the class, that marriage is only the sign of an ultimate fulfillment, not our ultimate fulfillment. He pulled me aside after class and said, Christopher, finally, I think I can forgive my father. And I said, for what? He said, he's been married eight times. Wow. And I refused to go to the last couple weddings. And on, on number six wife, I just blew up at my dad and said, dad, what is your problem? Mm. And his dad's response was, I've just never found a woman who could satisfy me. Wow. And he was on to a very profound truth. He never will. Mm. He never will. The marriage is a sacrament of an ultimate fulfillment that is not here yet. And celibacy is the declaration to the whole world that heaven is real, and it is worth selling 
everything to possess. A little, little word of advice to those who might be struggling in a celibate vocation. Ask God for the grace to know how short your life is, <laughs> how this life is gone in a flash. Mm. But the marriage you are witnessing to, the marriage that lasts forever, the marriage of Christ and the church, this is our eternal destiny. And we might also say this. This is from John Paul II's book, Love and Responsibility. He there makes the argument, and I, th- I think there's plenty of evidence to back it up, that we have this idea somehow marriage is easier than being celibate. Mm-hmm. John Paul II says, no, the evidence really points in the opposite direction, that marriage is, is harder. Mm. And we have this idea that, well, in celibacy, you, you have to be chaste. In marriage, you can just go for it. This is such a faulty, faulty understanding of chastity, mm-hmm. right? Here we are conflating chastity with abstinence and saying no. Uh, we're, chastity does not mere, merely mean saying no. Chastity means saying yes to the full truth of sexual union. And here's my analogy for why I think being chaste in married life, in other words, learning to love one another sexually in the right way is harder in many regards than being celibate. And here's, here's why. Here's the analogy. If you have an alcoholic, it's much easier for an alcoholic not to drink at all than to learn how to drink beer or wine rightly in a healthy, appropriate way. And we live in a world, to draw out the analogy, we live in a world that just encourages this libidinistic indulgence, indulgence of libido. And in that sense, it's creating a culture of alcoholics. It's easier for a culture where this in, we are just encouraged to indulge libido without any restraint when we form a kind of addiction in that regard. It's easier to say, I'm not going to engage at all than to learn how to engage in sexual union lovingly and rightly. So it just, I'm just saying this to say, anybody out there struggling with celibacy, if you have this idea, I'll just get married and everything will be fine, it'll be much easier, I won't have to deal with this angst anymore, I won't have to deal with this, this yearning for union anymore. Number one, marriage doesn't take it away. And number two, the call to chastity within marriage is in many regards more difficult. And as the person who reads all the podcast questions, I can certainly attest to that, that many married people are struggling and sharing their struggles in their questions. Many of them are probably nodding right now as you're saying that, you know, yes, this is, this is challenging. Wow, I didn't expect this. I didn't see this coming, but this is hard. So, you know, I can certainly confirm that also, of course, for our own experience. There are questions that each of us as human beings has to take before the Lord in whatever our vocation is and just experience that longing for truth and goodness and all things right that doesn't always mesh with our daily experience. And I think, you know, certainly we have compassion for those priests who are struggling yes, yes, or yes. religious of any kind, also for married people. And I don't know if we could just say a little prayer together right now yes, for listeners, yes, you know, in all of this, just to, because it is, it's kind of the crux it's of what it is in our human life. It's sensitive stuff and painful stuff. Right? And there's, there's a, 
for all of us, whatever our vocation is, the, the element of the cross is very real. Yes. And how can we recognize the voice of the enemy? He's the one who's, who's whispering to us, come off that cross. Mm-hmm. Come off that cross. There are cases, as you were pointing out, Wendy, we have to have compassion here. There are cases, and we see the, the wide embrace of the church in her mercy here, that the church does allow for a religious or a priest to really examine what were the circumstances in which my vocation was discerned, was there a mistake in discernment. There is the process of laicization that the church offers. When someone goes through that in a legitimate way, we shouldn't consider this person a failure. We should recognize the mercy and the, the, the wide embrace of the church in our complicated humanity. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to paint the impression that it's a black or white situation, but we do have to be very discerning. We have to rid ourselves of illusions that if I just had that other vocation, yeah. it would be easier. We know plenty of married people who, and I, you know, maybe we've gone through it ourselves. I've had times, you know, wondering, hmm, I did discern that celibate. No, no, no. Yeah, I know I'm meant to be married. <laughs> <laughs> Because the grass can look greener from from both perspectives, right? (laughs) So, yeah, let's pray that we, whatever calling we have in our lives, or maybe we're still discerning just a a prayer that we wouldn't fear that element of the cross. Yes. Would you lead that for us? Sure. Yes, Lord, I lift up to you all our listeners and their loved ones, people all over this beautiful earth you created, who are struggling to be faithful to vows that they've made. And Lord, when they are experiencing that cross, Lord, please be near to them. Give them the strength and courage and grace. And Lord, help them to pass through the struggle and have glimpses and tastes of the peace that passes understanding. We pray, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we place all those people struggling in their vocation, right, in the safety of Mary's womb or struggling to discern what their vocation might be. Yes. Place them right in that warm, cuddly folds of Mary's womb Mm. where all good things come to new birth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just want to say one more thing to the, the celibate questioner out there. I can't encourage you enough. I know I sound like a broken record here, but please expose yourself, not just in a, a surfacey way, but really commit yourself to diving into John Paul II's Theology of the Body. It is the answer to the crisis in the priesthood, in the religious life today. Please consider coming to a five-day course from the Theology of the Body Institute. The next one is in Cleveland from September 8th to the 13th of 2019. Uh, you can go to the show notes, just scroll down and find the link to find more information about that course. But Theology of the Body for Beginners would be a great place to start. Or if you want to go a little deeper, my book, Theology of the Body Explained, both of those books have entire chapters on celibacy for the kingdom. I, over the years, countless priests and religious have said, Theology of the Body saved my vocation. Yes. So, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think more often... When you're speaking, you have that experience of even much older religious people having a, a renewal yes. or a, a beautiful aha yes. in having heard Theology of the Body. 
yes, people come to and share their ache, but a lot yes, more absolutely. are sharing the joy. Yes. So I want to mention that. I remember a, just a priest came to my mind. I see his face. He was about to leave the priesthood, and his bishop sent him to one of the TOB Institute courses, and at the end of the week, he pulled me aside. He said, Christopher, this week saved my vocation. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Praise God. Next question is from a listener, an anonymous question again. She says, um, although I know that they are gifts from God and therefore good, I find that I'm deeply uncomfortable with both my sexuality and even more so intimacy of any sort. Mm, mm. Do you have any suggestions for me in Mm. living with this and maybe even moving beyond it? Mm. Mm. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Does, is there any indication if it's a man or a woman? It's a, yes, it is a woman. It's a woman. Okay, bless you, my dear sister. I, I think your question reveals, as we all have in varying degrees, we all have wounds here. If we go back to the story of our beginnings in Scripture, we recognize that the first result of sin coming into the world is a shame regarding our sexuality. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. What, what did they hide? They didn't hide their earlobes. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a specific... Here I am twiddling on my earlobe as I say it. There is a specific shame, a specific fear connected with our sexuality ever since the beginning. And everyone, in one way or another, has to, to face that. And then we have experiences on top of that, that add to that fear, add to that shame, because we live in a broken world and other broken people give us very broken impressions and diseased ideas about our bodies, about our sexuality. I would encourage you, my dear sister, to go to the Lord in prayer and just ask Him to reveal some of your earliest memories of your own body, your understanding of your own body? Did you have family members who maybe laughed at your body as you were maturing? Are there any memories of being a little girl and uh, maybe being in the bathtub and a sense of a parent or a babysitter causing shame? Or I'll tell a story because it's coming to mind. I remember a, a woman sharing with me this story. I write about it in one of my books. I think it's uh, my Heaven Song book. I write this about the story. I asked for her permission, and I changed her name to keep it anonymous. But this adult woman came to me. She had had a deep, deep dysfunctional adult life in regard to sexual questions and sexual immorality and, <clears throat> excuse me, shame connected to her body. And she shared this experience of being six years old in the bathtub And her mother came into the bathroom as she was in the tub and was was curiously just exploring her own genitals. And her mother smacked her hand and said, don't touch yourself there, that's dirty. Those kind of things go so deep in in our souls and that was a terrible disservice that her mother delivered there, for lack of another word, that, that really scarred and wounded her. 
And it shouldn't surprise us if we have just a little understanding of how these wounds can affect us later on, that, of course, for a time, out of abject fear, she never touched herself there and was even afraid to wipe herself when she went to the bathroom. But that later became a habitual masturbation problem in her life. Because whatever, whatever scar there is, whatever wound there is, it can come out in very dysfunctional ways later on. And then that masturbation habit turned into promiscuity, and then she had an abortion, and all kind, I mean, just went down the line. Not that all of that can be traced with certainty back to that experience of the bathtub when she was six years old, but without a doubt, it played some role. So I tell that story now to just encourage you, this anonymous questioner, don't go poking around in your heart or your memories on your own, but if you're feeling led, allow the Lord to take you to your own history, certain memories where there might have been painful misinformation, maybe you're exposed to pornography at some point along the way, it's hard not to be in this culture. Those diseased ideas, impressions, images go very deep in forming us and shaping us in dysfunctional ways. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Christ came into the world to undo all of those diseased ideas and images that you have of yourself and diseased and diseased images and ideas that I have of myself. Redemption is real. The cross is deeper than all of this. He took on a body to redeem our bodies. He came in a male body born of a female body to redeem and sanctify the full truth of masculinity and femininity. The diseased ideas you have of your own body as a woman can be replaced by the pure ideas, the holy, the sacred, the beautiful, the awesome and glorious mystery of woman's body revealed in Mary. The purpose of a woman's sexuality, the purpose of a woman's womb, the pur- purpose of her, her ovaries and her ovulation and the purpose of her breasts, the whole glorious, beautiful mystery of femininity at its pinnacle, here it is, is to give flesh to God. Bedrock principle of our faith, God comes to us through woman's body. God comes to us through woman's womb. God comes to us through woman's sexuality. And by that, I mean her being a woman. He was born of a woman. He took on a male body to redeem the male body. He was born of a female body to redeem the female body. Blessed is the womb that bore him and the breasts that he sucked. It's right out of scripture. And that can, that even as we use those words, breasts and womb, because we've been so distorted and perverted by our pornographic culture, sometimes we can't even recognize how holy that is. But I urge you, John Paul II says, that proclamation of that woman in the gospel who shouted out, blessed is the womb that bore him and blessed are the breasts that he sucked. John Paul II says that is the first fulfillment of Mary's own prophecy that every generation will call me blessed. Hmm. He says that's a eulogy to the true dignity of woman. And look what is most violently attacked in the world right now in this pornographic culture. If not a woman's breasts and womb, I don't know what else is more violently attacked. 
I, I've been saying a lot, Wendy. Do you have do you have anything from a, a woman's perspective that you want to share here? I think definitely you've just been allowing the spirit to lead you. And yes, it's this question, but it's many people who's who've asked similar questions, faces you've seen in audiences that are all, you know, it, you carry them in your heart, and I believe the Lord has allowed you to carry them and to speak to them and let words be a source of healing. Uh, so I, I'm grateful for you sharing all those things, and I, I just, my only further comment to this questioner would be to also to ask the Lord to show you that you are a unique gift, mm. because mm. I think that fear of intimacy is a fear that either that you're not a gift or you won't be seen as a gift. Mm. So just mm. that could be another just thing to bring to prayer that the Lord could could speak to you about that. We sometimes talk about intimacy. Someone shared this with us years ago, that the word intimacy, if you kind of pick it apart kind of creatively, into me see is intimacy. And we yearn to be seen, but it's scary, especially when we, we've gone through life and haven't been seen. And we're right back to that fear. I was afraid because I was naked, so mm -hmm. I hid myself. Here's the good news of the gospel. Christ came into the world to undo what sin has done. So we could really summarize the whole Christian journey as the reverse of that fear. Mm -hmm. So I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself, can become, as we journey with the Lord and let Him love us, it can become, I was at peace because I knew He loved me. He sees me, He loves me, and so I exposed myself. I exposed myself to love. I let him love me in my brokenness. I let him love me in my fear. And his perfect love has cast out my fear. That's the journey all of us have to go on. Mm -hmm. I think I talked too much in answering those questions, so we're, we're running out of time here. So I don't know. I think we only answered two questions it's this okay. time. It's okay. Is that okay? okay? Is that okay, everybody? I hope that's okay. <laughs> I was going on and on, but I think those were both very important questions, and we'll be back again next week. Yes. Don't, don't fret that I only got to two questions. <laughs> <laughs> next week, we'll answer more. Thank you so much for being our faithful listeners. Uh, we need you guys. We need your help. We have a mission to get Theology of the Body out around the world, and we need patrons like you who believe in what we're doing. We want to enter into an ongoing relationship with you guys. We want to be of service to you, and we want to ask you to be of service to us. If you go down, just scroll down to the show notes and click the link there about becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute. We need your support. We need your prayers. We need your financial support. Uh, would you consider being a patron at $5 a month, at $20 a month, at $50 a month? to help us get this message out around the world. In return, we want to be of service to you, where you will get exclusive uh, videos, exclusive ongoing formation. You'll have access to our exclusive Facebook group of our patrons. This is how our mission gets funded. This is how we spread this message around the world. We want to join in that partnership with you. We want to help you, and we're asking you to help us. If that's of interest to you, uh, we would be so grateful if you just click on that link in the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for listening again. God bless you. We'll see you next time, everybody. 
Christopher West comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Christopher and Wendy hope the information presented is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, you can find a list of trusted counselors and psychologists in the show notes. Ready to share a question from one of our speak Let, our listeners? Let's sorry. do it. Uh, yeah, let me say that again. Okay, Mark, edit that out. Edit it up. Sorry. Rewind. 